As you guys know, we are in our summer series, Summer Songs, and this morning, Pastor Mike is going to be taking us through Psalm 34. Uh, and so before we even continue, let's go to the Word together and go through this chapter together. So go ahead, take this next few moments, take your Bibles out, let's open up your Bible apps, and we're going to read it together, and Nisha and I are going to go through Psalm 34 together. The words will also be up on the screen as well for you to follow along. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come. O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Father, we thank you uh, for rich and life-giving truths in your word. We, we thank you, Lord, for those moments when you show up right when we need you most. And we thank you, Lord, for psalmists like David who write about them. Lord, these moments give us hope even when we're hurting so we can think rightly, we can remember what you've done. Lord, sometimes our, our faith grows weak and we need these moments when you rescue us to remind us that the heavens may seem silent and we wonder how it's all going to work out, that you are still on your throne and that you are always good and that we have tasted and seen Lord, you are good. Lord, we pray today that this psalm, your word, would remind us of that because, Lord, there is so much trouble in our world. Lord, we pray now for your justice and your mercy. We, we pray, Lord, for Afghanistan. We, we cry out to you, Lord, for your deliverance to those who are seeking to escape. And we pray against evil men who violently oppress. Lord, we pray now, even for those who are in the path of 
of Hurricane Ida. We ask that you would protect them. And Lord, we, we pray against COVID and we ask again that you would give healing, that you would save life, that you would bring this pandemic to an end. We ask your protection, Lord. Father, right now, I pray especially that in this room, there would be people who today see their need to personally and truly taste of the goodness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear you, to hear your truth as we open your word, the Holy Scriptures. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen, amen. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the final week of Summer Songs, our summer long series exploring the book of Psalms. Today, we are actually going to be studying one of my personal favorite Psalms, and that is Psalm 34. This is a Psalm that is all about tasting the goodness of God. And to get into this, I have a question I wanna ask you and want you to think about, it's this. Have you ever had a close call? I think you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's that kind of experience where if just one little detail was different, like if you hadn't seen that car coming when you did, or if something heavy had, had fallen a little sooner or had landed just a couple feet from where it did, then someone, maybe you, wouldn't be here today. I think we've all had close calls. I know I have. And they really do change you, don't they? They change how you view that day. They, they change how you pray and how you worship God, how you sing. They change how you read God's word. Maybe the uh, biggest close call for me and for Dana actually happened 31 years ago yesterday. We had moved to the Chicago area about 10 months before that day and we were still getting adjusted to what life was like in a part of the country we had never lived in before. And, and August 28, uh, 1990 was this very hot, very humid day, 98 sticky degrees. I'd heard that morning that severe thunderstorms were probably coming and, and I ended up walking across the church parking lot from my office over to the church parsonage about 3 p.m. I needed to get something over there and, and as I walked, I looked to my left, which was north just like it is in this room and I saw these massive black clouds that were looming really, really high in the horizon, just this huge thunderhead off in the distance. When I went inside, our two-year-old son, Jared, had just gotten up from a nap and I ended up holding him and just kind of hanging around the house a little longer than I had planned and the rain started, the storm came. And so when I, when I saw that, I decided I would stay and um, I picked up Jared and I sat down with him in a chair facing right into the plate glass windows or doors that were on the north side of our family room. And I did that for a purpose. Jared was afraid at this point of thunder, and so we had been trying to help him, you know, kind of coach him that when the light flashed, there was a bang, 
a noise that was going to come so he wouldn't be so afraid. And so, you know, teachable moment. Uh, help your kids learn some stuff. And as we're sitting there, um, this furious thunderstorm hit. And it got really dark. And the rain got really hard. And the wind got really heavy. And at one point, as this was happening, Dana walked into the room. And by the way, she was seven and a half months pregnant uh, with our second child, um, Abby. And I said to her, I remember saying to her, this is the worst thunderstorm I've ever seen. And it got worse from there. I distinctly remember seeing two things. One of them was that the rain went from coming down at a, at a strong angle to completely horizontal. Rain was moving across our vision like that. And then at some point, probably happening pretty close together, that rain turned dirty. I could see dirt, mud in that rain as it was moving horizontally. And, and somewhere along that time, not too long later, probably the hail started to fall. And, and there was some hail that was like tennis ball sized. And, and we both remembered in that moment that hail could often indicate a tornado. We, we knew about tornadoes where we had come from, where we'd lived before, which was Texas. We didn't know really about how tornadoes might happen in Illinois. And so after this happened for a few seconds, I think one of us, don't remember who, said, I think we better go to the basement. And I stood up with Jared. I was facing north toward the window. I stood up and turned this way to the east where Dana was standing. And when I stood up in that moment when I turned, the wall of the family room behind me exploded in. Something hit the wall and the whole wall of the side of the house collapsed. And in that moment, Dana and I fell to the ground. We huddled over Jared there, not really understanding what was happening. Rain and wind and debris are flying in around us. We're in shock, you know, just trying to process what is going on. And for what seemed like hours, probably less than a minute, uh, the, the wind kind of eased some and we got up and went down to the basement. My glasses had been blown off. One of my shoes wasn't there anymore. Don't know really how that happened. We're stepping over glass. We go down to the basement. Really, it's too late to get protection in the basement at this point. But, you know, you just got to go somewhere. And we get down there and down in the basement, covered soaked in rain that had blown in to our house, shivering probably more from shock than from cold. We thank God that we were alive. And what we were going to discover in just um, a little while was that an F5 tornado with winds approaching 300 miles an hour had hit our home and our town. Less than 100 yards to the west of us, there were semi-tractor trailers, 18-wheelers that were flipped over. A couple hundred yards to the north of us, people died. I mean, multiple people had died. There were hundreds and hundreds of people injured. There were thousands of buildings that were destroyed. Um, over 30 people were, were killed. And what we saw as we came back upstairs was that a section from someone else's roof, who knows where it came from, because there weren't any houses within like a half a mile of us to the direction the wind was blowing, 
somebody's roof, a piece of it, studs and shingles that were kind of together, several of them, had flown through the air, slammed into the side of our house and blown the wall in and landed just feet from where we were. Uh, Engineers also looked at our church building, which was between us and where the tornado came from, and this brick building, they said, was within a few seconds, probably, of just coming apart. If that had happened, all that brick at 300 miles an hour would have flown into our house, and uh, you'd have a different pastor, probably, (laughs) because I wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be here. It was a very close call. And when we look back at the few photos that we have uh, from that, we think to ourselves, look what the Lord delivered us from. Look what he saved us from. So what do you say? What do you say when something like that happens to you um, after you're done screaming? (laughs) What do you say? Do you say, that was lucky? What comes out of your mouth when you know that the Lord has saved your life. It changes you, doesn't it? You pray differently, you sing differently, you worship differently, you read God's word differently. And I think you will agree with me that when you experience God's rescue, it opens your spiritual eyes to see different. It's these moments of rescue where God sovereignly deliver us that remind us that God is always watching, that God is always caring for us, and we need to be reminded of that sometimes. Because so often we wonder, God, where are you? Are you listening? Do you see what's going on in my life? Do you really care? Do you really have my back, God? See, these moments of rescue, these close call moments, they are so important for us to remember when life gets really hard. And Psalm 34 is one of those psalms that reminds us of this. Psalm 34 is actually a close call psalm. It's a psalm about God's deliverance in David's life from a very close call. God has rescued David He's been delivered, and so he writes this psalm to celebrate what God has done. You say, well, what happened to David? Well, we get a clue of that at the top of the psalm. If you have your Bible open, maybe you look underneath where it says Psalm 34, and you're gonna see an inscription, and it'll be a little different in each translation. In my translation, it says this, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, what's that all about? Well, we can find the story of what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David wrote this psalm right after a life-threatening situation with a Philistine king named Abimelech or Achish. David was running for his life from King Saul. And if you know the story, Saul was the first king of Israel, but he was this dismal failure. God had gone to David and told him that he was going to be the king one day. And in God's providence, David gets into Saul's court to serve the king. He becomes this military uh, leader. He's very, very successful, so successful, in fact, that at one point, Saul, in his jealousy, decides he's going to kill David. And David learns of this plan from Saul's son, Jonathan, who was his friend. And so he flees his homeland in Israel. And he goes to take refuge in the land of the Philistines. Now, this is kind of an odd thing when you understand the backstory. David apparently thought he could blend in, maybe become a mercenary soldier for this king named Achish, the king of Gath. 
But what happens is this, 1 Samuel 21 tells us that this king's servants, they figure out who David was. They recognize him and they go to the king and they tell the king that this is David, the famous Israelite warrior. Now, what I'm alluding to as this kind of a strange place for him to go is because of this. First of all, the Philistines were the enemies of the Israelites. On top of this, David came to prominence in a very, very familiar story when he killed a very, very large man, a giant named Goliath. And maybe you remember Goliath had a hometown and maybe you remember that that hometown was Gath, the city to which David went to find refuge. And then on top of that, when Saul had earlier offered his daughter Michael to David as a wife, Saul had said to David, I want a dowry and here's the dowry I want from you. I want you to kill 100 Philistines. And Saul said, you have to bring me their foreskins as proof. I know that's kind of awkward to talk about in church. If your children are with you and they don't know what that is, it's up to you to explain it, not my problem. But that's what David had to do. And he not only did that, he killed 200 Philistines and he brought 200 to Saul. So David has this track record of fighting against and and being victorious over Philistines and he is in Gath and he figures out now that he is in deep trouble. 1 Samuel 21 verses 12 through 15 tell us what happened next. It says, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. This is in the Bible, right? It's, the Bible's got some weird stuff in it. Have you ever noticed that? I was trying to think if we could do like a, a, a group exercise together to act this out, but I decided I didn't wanna see that and I'm not gonna act it out for you because I don't think you wanna see that either. But David is just, he's scratching on you know, the wood walls of the gate. He's letting spit come out of his mouth and he's foaming down his beard. And he, he does this and then what happens next is verse 14. Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? And I think what he says next is really funny. He says, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so they kick David out of the city and David escapes and David realizes that was close. He goes to a cave and he's by himself and there he writes Psalm 34 just to celebrate what God has done for him and he begins by saying these beautiful words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. See, David knew he wasn't that great of an actor. He knew that it was God who had delivered him. Now, what I want you to see this morning is five ways to taste God's goodness. Because I'm telling you, there will come a day, and maybe it will be soon, when you need to come back and remember these truths about what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
These five ways that we can taste goodness, they're great for us when we're coming out of a close call, but I'm also telling you, these are things that we should be doing every day. Say every day. Every day we should be doing these things. Here's the first one. You can write this down in your notes on the app. Praise God together at all times. Praise God together at all times. You know, I want to start by just saying this psalm just shows us that God is awesome. Isn't he? Is God awesome? Say amen. God is awesome. And, And there's nothing like a close call to remind us of that to remind us that we should always praise him. Verse one says, I will bless the Lord, what? At all times, his praise shall, what? Continually be in my mouth. And David's just so overwhelmed by the beauty of who God is and what God has done that he just wants to praise God. And he wants to do it all the time. David knows without God, I wouldn't be alive. And so he, he wants others to know what he knows. And when you're full of what God has done in your life, you wanna share that with others. Verse four says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. And this word boast in Hebrew, it means, uh, it's about what you do when you're supremely satisfied or supremely thankful with something very, very great. You know, if I hadn't shown you pictures of my grandkids, I would do it again this week because that's what you do when you have something really, really great in your life, right? You tell other people about it. You, you boast about it. And yes, my grandchildren are more beautiful and much more intelligent than any of your grandchildren. See, that's just the way it is. And I'm sorry, but it's the truth and I have to speak truth, right? You boast in what matters to you, right? in what you're thankful for. That's what what David is doing here. And this is a word uh, that is used to call people to worship all across the Psalms. And that's what David's doing here. He continues to say, let the humble hear and be glad. Verse three, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This word magnify is very important. It literally means to make great. But don't think of the word magnify like a a microscope that makes something small look big. Think instead of a telescope that brings something really far and really big. It's a long way away, but it brings that near. That's what God's close call moments, rescuing, delivering moments do. They show us how big, how great, how wonderful, how awesome God is and they bring it up close to us. Because we just realize, right, that if God hadn't helped me, I wouldn't have made it. You see, close call moments, what they really do is they confirm for us what we know in theory. They bring it to life that God is so awesome and so good that we should just praise him at all times. I was talking with Dana yesterday and we both were remembering that day 31 years ago, how, how we gave thanks to God in that basement, just shaking in shock, soaking wet with that tornado blown rain that had ripped into our home, just grateful that we were alive. Now, I also want you to notice, I included that word together because David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You see, when we have truly experienced God's deliverance, we really cannot keep it to ourselves. We want to share the joy. 
and that means we need to be together. We need to be with some people because we wanna tell them how amazing and how good God has been to us. And here's the thing I wanna point out here. This is just one of the hundreds of places that God's word calls us to worship him with other people. It's part of why being in the room is so important. And uh, I'm just so grateful in this season for technology, you know, that's allowed us to, to gather virtually, kind of put that in quotes, to gather virtually when we couldn't gather in person. And I do understand that there are some of us in our church family who still have some good reasons to not be here yet. But, but, some of us don't have good reasons. And I know that in part because some of you have actually told me you don't have good reasons. You've actually said that to me. It's been stuff like, yeah, Pastor Mike, I know I should come, but it's easier to stay home, you know, drink coffee on my couch while I watch, you know, the service. Some people have said to me, yeah, I guess I've gotten kind of lazy. One person said, I'm kind of apathetic. I know that. And that's just what you've told me. And there's others of you who haven't told me, but you know it's true. And, and I realize as I'm saying this to you in this room, I'm not really speaking to you because you're here. Uh, I'm doing this for the benefit of those who are watching and just asking that if it's time to come back, that God's Holy Spirit would make that clear and we would regather once again. It really does matter. And David's words highlight this for us. Here's a second way that we can taste God's goodness, something you can do every day, and ask God for deliverance. Just ask, do you need to be rescued? Do you need God to deliver you? Are you asking him? You should just ask freely. Don't hold back. Ask away. Ask every day. Ask all the time. Why do you do that? Why do you ask? Well, because God is able God's able to save. He's able to rescue. He's able to deliver you. And so ask. We see this in verses four through seven. These verses remind us that God has all power, that God is always able. And that means when you find yourself in a desperate situation, you do not need to despair. God can help. God is able. He's helped us before. Has God helped you before? Raise your hand if God's helped you before. God's ever rescued or delivered you. So if he's done it before, can he do it again? He can do it again. So ask him. David wants us to see this, that God is so powerfully able to help those who put their hope in him. Verses four and five, he says, I sought the Lord. That's another way of saying I ask. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This just reminds us that God is always available to help us with our anxieties. Maybe you're having a panic attack or you're afraid or just feeling kind of nervous about something. All these fears, ask God for deliverance. David says when he sought the Lord, God gave this spiritual confidence or peace. And I think you've experienced that in your life, haven't you? Where you spend time with God in his word, you spend time in God's presence as you pray and he gives you peace. That's what David is talking about. He reinforces it in verse five by saying, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. As a pastor, um, I've been around a lot of grieving people. I've been with some people that are hurting deeply, facing incredible 
hardship. And it is amazing to me sometimes how someone who's trusting the Lord and I'm with them, how radiant their face can be even in their pain and their suffering. And God does this. He gives this kind of spiritual radiance when people are trusting him in crisis. Life, life may be hard, but these people have found the presence of the Lord to be so sweet, so comforting. They have a radiant face because they're trusting in God. Verses six and seven, really if you understand the poetry of this psalm and you think about it, you'll see that those verses are saying essentially the same thing as verses four and five. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And so when we're weak and in pain, when we feel fear, God is there to help us. When we're confident in him, when we're trusting in him, we can pray. Then David goes on to talk about spiritual protection. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And I love this. This idea is that God is always protecting those who fear him, those who put their trust in him. Why why is that important to mention? Because we don't always remember that, right? Have you stopped to think that right now, and I think I can say this on the basis of the word of God, there are angels in the house. How would that change what you're thinking about this day in your life, if you could see them. We know the Lord is always present. He's always with us. He's always there for us. And that's what that David is telling us. And he wants us to have this, this spiritual perspective. And, and when we experience rescue in a dramatic kind of close call moment, then we're reminded that that's true always. God's always protecting us. And again, when we're suffering, when we're hurting, it's easy to think that I'm not gonna make it and this is just gonna kill me and it's all over. Maybe, maybe it's that this grief is never going to leave me and David is just saying, remember that God is for you and with you and that changes your spiritual perspective. He's guarding you, watching over you. There's a good illustration in 2 Kings 6 about how we often don't see what God is doing. Maybe you remember the story. It's something that happened to the prophet Elisha Uh, when he was in the city of Dothan. And what had been going on was the king of Syria was attacking the nation of Israel, uh, the kingdom of Israel, the Elisha's uh, uh, people, and he was attacking them. And and God was enabling Elisha through his prophetic powers uh, to know the plans of the Syrian king and his army. And so he he would tell the Israelite king ahead of time what the Syrian king was gonna do. And when the Syrian king tried to do what he wanted to do, he would be thwarted and he was getting really frustrated until he figured out through someone that Elisha was like reading his mail. And so he decides, my new plan is that I'm gonna take out this prophet. And so he sends his entire army to the city of Dothan to take out one man, the prophet Elisha. Second Kings 6 verses 15 to 17 records this kind of perspective changing moment. It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. What fear. 
And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? You ever said that? You probably didn't say alas, but you know what I'm talking about. What are we gonna do? Nothing's working. Well, here's what Elisha said. He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And again, as I've already said, friends, this is always the reality for God's people. You have never lived a moment outside of his sovereign providential protection. God is always watching over you. God is always taking care of you. God is always working for your good. You can trust him. See, the truth is that ultimately there is always far more power with us than against us. And I wanna give you a verse (laughs) when you're tempted to despair. One of the verses you should remember is 1 John 4, 4 that says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? See, God has done it in the past. God has delivered you before. God can do it again. The power that is with you is always greater than the power of the evil one. And so when you feel overwhelmed by the presence of sin, when you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life, when you feel overwhelmed by the consequences of choices that you have made, when you feel overwhelmed because of choices other people have made against you, remember, never forget, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Here's a third way to taste God's goodness. And it's simply this, proclaim God's goodness. Now, you know this, we like to say it around here a lot, all the time. We like to say God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. And so the question I want you to ask yourself right now is do I believe that? If you do, David's words in verses eight to 10 tell you, then say it, then proclaim it. Because I really think the more you proclaim it, the more you taste it. I think verses eight through 10 really capture the the essence of this entire Psalm. David is inviting his readers to experience God, to to, to experience God the way that he has. He says in verse eight, just come, just taste, just see. The Lord is good. And by the way, this is our memory verse for this week. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And he's just reminding us again and again that there is great security when you run to God for safety, when you trust in him. God provides for you when you trust him. Verse nine says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack And that just means you should come to the Lord and when you do, you find contentment. You find what you really need. Verse 10 says, the young lions suffer one in hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, in case I need to remind you, that doesn't mean that you will have everything your little heart has ever desired, okay? Um, If you haven't figured it out yet, 
life does not run like Disney movies. Life also does not run according to what a lot of preachers on television and on the internet say. You don't get everything you want. And if you're wise, you should say, thank God, right? Thank God he doesn't give me everything I want. Because here's the truth. Most all of us want a lot of stuff that's really bad for us. This would be a really good time for you to say amen. And if you haven't figured that out yet, then ask God to show you. Ask God to show you all the prayers he didn't answer and you'll probably give him much praise and many, many thanks. This is not about us getting everything that we want. It's about us getting everything that God knows we need and he will provide that. See, you can look at your life circumstances according to this verse and you can know that there is a good and a gracious God who knows exactly what you need and who makes sure you always have exactly what you need. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes I've, I've realized something and I found myself praying, you know, Lord, apparently you know I need this right now. I'm not convinced, but apparently that's your plan. Sometimes it's, Lord, apparently I need this person in my life right now. I didn't know that. Sometimes it's, Lord, apparently I, I need this issue or this problem or this challenge in my life right now. It's always true. God gives us exactly what we need. You know, this theme of God being good all the time is all through the Bible. You probably have some of the verses in your head. You should bring them up and probably be, have them memorized so you can remember them anytime you need. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? That's true. It's God's truth for us. Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is good all the time. I love this next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse eight. And whenever you, you find yourself thinking, this is too much, God, I can't handle it, it's too hard, you should go back to this verse, you should memorize this verse. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So when you, don't think, I, when you think, I don't think I can handle it, if one more thing happens, God will give you the grace you need to make it through. So David is saying as he looks at God's deliverance, God is good and he is good all the time. Fourth way we taste God's goodness, this is in verses 11 through 14. We, we fear God by living his way. And you might put kind of as an underlining idea here, David is telling us that God's way works. The way God tells us to live is the best way, amen? 
It's the best way. And you might notice that verses 11 through 14 sound a little bit like Proverbs. Sometimes as you're reading the Proverbs, you'll find different sections of some Psalms that are what's called proverbial in nature. They are wisdom statements. And this is what's happening here. David invites his, his uh, listeners to, his readers to listen to him. And he says to them, God's way works. He says, if you wanna know the way of blessing in this life, choose obedience. If you want to know the way of cursing in this life, then disobey God. You know, you, you can do that if you want. You know, if you want to just get in trouble, then just lie all the time. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you have lived periods of your life and you were liars. And it was a hard life, wasn't it? It's very hard trying to remember the stories you've told and keep it all straight. It's a lot simpler, a lot easier just to tell the truth, right? God's ways work, and that's what this passage is talking about. You know, if you want to experience financial blessing in your life, the word of God makes it real clear. Just be a generous giver. That's the way of life. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you wanna have a good family, then do the things God says to do. Love your family, serve your family, forgive your family when they hurt you. We have a couple in our church that I just found out yesterday. Kind of, it's just one of these markers that shows what it means to follow God in this way. And and, and this couple is, is Walt and Pat Binge, and I see, I see Lori Quillacy, their daughter, here in service right now. On Friday, they, they celebrated their 60th anniversary, 60 years of living and experiencing the goodness of God. And see, that's what you know, God says. You do things my way, and you find life. You find goodness, David invites people to learn from his experience. Verse 11, he says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the, the fear of the Lord. Verse 12 explains some of this. It promises life, long life and blessing. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Verse 13 uh, talks about how we talk. This is part of having this good life. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Verse 14 uh, spreads it out to a broader perspective. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, here's the question I wanna ask. Do you believe that God's ways are best? Do you believe that God's ways work? It's easy to say yes, and I'm glad you're saying yes, but the real test is not saying yes. The real test is doing what God says. And we should face the reality that this is becoming increasingly difficult in the culture in which we live. Our culture tells us every day, all the time, that God's ways are backward, repressive, unhealthy, violent, all kinds of things. And we need to understand what is being said here because we're living in this time where a culture that is devaluing marriage and exalting money and career above all things. We live in this culture that, that says that God's created order for marriage and family and for gender, that should be set aside, you know, set aside and replaced with just what human beings think, what we perceive in our own finite minds about our identities. We live in this culture 
in which social media, we use it to tear down instead of building up as God tells us. We, we live in this culture where, where politics is often more important to people than anything else. You know, in two weeks, uh, we're gonna be launching a brand new series called Louder, Rising Above the Noise, and we're gonna be learning together from God's word how we can live in a way that sets us apart from the culture around us as we, as we continue to move through and, and to move past this season of, of pandemic. And David is helping us here in Psalm 34 by reminding us God's ways are best. And so we can, we can taste the goodness of God when we live his way. And that's what it means to, to fear God. Here's the last thing. Number five, taste his goodness by putting your ultimate hope in God. Now we're gonna see this all the way to the end of this psalm. And you know, part of the beauty of, of moments of deliverance is the reminder that God is always ready and available to hear the cry of those who, who need him. David's reminding us that God really does listen to our prayers. And if you wanna put a heading on uh, the first four verses of this last section, verses 15 to 18, I would, I would put the heading of, God, of this, God is not ignoring you. God is not ignoring you so you can hope in him. And again, David's reminding us of these things because it's so easy for us to be tempted to think when life is hard and we're crying out to God and when God doesn't answer immediately that God's not paying attention. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't typically answer your prayers right away? How many of you wish that every time you pray, God would give you the answer right then, like, like right now? But he doesn't do that, does he? Again, God, God is smarter than you are. Say amen. God is far wiser than any of us. And so we have to trust him in his timing. We have to realize that sometimes God, you know, makes us wait a short while before he answers. Sometimes he makes us wait a very long time. Sometimes it seems like God will never answer. And sometimes, sometimes the answers to the prayers that we pray will never be answered in this life. They'll only be answered in eternity. And so it's easy to wonder if God is paying attention, but David says, yes, he is. He knows what's going on. Look, look at verse 15. These are such rich words. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. God's eyes and God's ears, friends, are toward you. He's watching. He's listening. He'll never leave you. He, he knows he knows what you're going through. Verse 16 says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. In other words, God knows when you've been maligned. God knows the injustice you're suffering, the abuse that you're enduring, and he will take care of it. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. In verse 18, it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible another good one to memorize if you haven't yet. It says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, I know, I know some of you are here today and the word that best describes you right now is brokenhearted. David is telling you through this word 
that even though you feel like there's nothing left, you have nothing more to offer, God is near, God is close, he is your savior. Sometimes when we're hurting, we realize what we really need is not answers. We just need God. We need God himself. And David is reminding every hurting person that those who put their trust in God find help. Here's what we, we see all through the Bible. We see it in the New Testament as well. The humble receive help. Brokenheartedness actually can lead you to a new understanding that you need help. And that is so important because this is one of the first steps in getting your life right with God, understanding that you need help. And so when you're brokenhearted, when you're crushed in spirit, when you realize I cannot do this, I cannot make it on my own, that's a beautiful place to begin. The humble receive help. First Peter five verses five through seven says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So cry out to God. Know that he is near. Know that he's gonna take care of you. And then the final verses of Psalm 34, verses 19 through 22, well, they show us the ultimate reason we can put our ultimate hope in God. If you read these verses carefully, you'll, you'll realize that David is beginning in these closing verses to look past his present circumstances. He's even looking past beyond death itself to the ultimate deliverance that God will bring. This psalm actually ends by pointing us beyond this life, pointing us toward our eternity in the life beyond Verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many. Oh, parents, please teach this to your kids. Please teach this to your kids. So many times we we tell people that Christianity means that God's gonna make your life all good and all better. And so many people end up being disillusioned and there's no reason for them to be disillusioned because that's not the truth. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the good news is the second part of that verse. The Lord delivers from them all. I think it's, it's so, it's so great how honest and realistic David is with us. He knows that life is hard. He tells us the truth, but he also makes it clear that if we trust God in the end, God will deliver us out of all of them. And this is another way of telling us affliction never wins. God always wins. Life is hard, but God makes it right. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones Not one of them is broken. This is such a a beautiful picture of God's care that's being painted here. And if you are are thinking right now, I feel like I've heard something like this before, then you're probably remembering John chapter 19 when John's writing about Jesus' crucifixion and John tells us that as Jesus dies, his bones were not broken. He actually quotes this verse in Psalm 34. And what he's telling us among other things there is that God was caring for his son even during history's darkest hour. God cared for Jesus even while Jesus bore the curse of our sin. 
He keeps all his bones. Not one is broken. Verse 21 points us toward the coming judgment of the wicked. And now we really begin to see the perspective of eternity coming into place. It says affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. In other words, there will be a day when people who have refused to submit to God in God's will and God's ways, they will suffer judgment. They will get their due. God will bring them to justice. See, David is placing his hope in God to make all things right. And then finally, notice how David concludes the psalm. This is so, so good. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If you're marking in your Bible or in your notes, you should underline or circle the word redeemed and then underline or circle the words no, uh, no condemnation or uh, the idea of no condemnation. Because what David is doing here is he has seen this moment of rescue from Achish, the king of Gath, and he is looking through it, beyond it, into eternity. David is looking to God as his ultimate redemption. His joy in God's deliverance in this moment is only a foretaste of the future eternal redemption that God will bring. You know, if you read Psalm 34 and if you know anything about the New Testament, you have to hear the parallels. And if you don't hear the parallels, let me explain them to you. Just consider uh, for a moment the entire context of the Bible and you'll begin to understand that Psalm 34 is pointing us to a moment that is coming one day in the future. We might call it the eternal close call. It's tied to this word redemption, this, this concept of no condemnation. If you pull back from Psalm 34 and then pull back again beyond the life on this earth, here's what the Bible tells us. Every single person, every one of you, across this room, every single person here today will one day stand in the presence of God and give an account for his or her life. I don't know what that moment will exactly be like, but I believe that our sin and our unworthiness will be very clear to us on that day. I think that we will see the beauty of God's holiness and, and his glory will be so devastating compared to who we will know in that moment that we really are. And the verdict of guilt on the life that we have lived, it will be overwhelming and convincing and clear here is God, here I am. In front of you is a holy God and there you stand as a sinful, unrighteous human being. And in that moment, you will see that this is an eternally dangerous moment. The only hope for your soul on that day is a promise, a promise God made in his word. That promise sounds like this in Romans chapter five, verses eight and nine, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, amen? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
You see, in that moment, you will see the beauty of God's holiness. You will know this holy God's wrath against sin, and you will know in a way you've never seen it before who you are, and you will see that the only thing standing between the wrath of God and you is a promise made to you in God's word. And that promise is Christ died for you and you can be justified by his blood and saved from his wrath through the death of Jesus. And in another place, the promise sounds like this, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you stand before God, holy God is a sinful person and the only thing you have to stand on is a promise. Your only hope is that God, holy God, counts you forgiven, counts you righteous because through Christ you've been forgiven. His death on the cross. That's your only hope, that promise. And you see, when we trust in God, when we believe in his promise, the Bible says he saves us from the wrath of God. He takes our sin on himself. And I hope you understand in that moment that will come one day for you. In that moment, you will be banking everything on that promise. And if you stop and think about it, you will see the unbelievable danger of that moment. And if you're in Christ, you can only imagine what it will be for a holy God to speak and say to you, I receive you because you have received my son. Come into the everlasting joy of my kingdom. And I wonder, I wonder what the first things we might say that one of them might be as we are walking into the new heavens and the new earth after seeing God's holiness and seeing our sin and seeing the forgiveness that we receive by grace. I wonder if we won't have this on our lips. Whoa. That was close. That was close. I believe that for all eternity, we're going to have unbelievable joy knowing that God has forgiven us despite who we really are. And I believe that that knowledge, that reality will give new meaning to Psalm 34. When you know Jesus, you will truly be able to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And can I change it? His praise will eternally be in my mouth. Why eternally? Because you're gonna know then how close it was. And so my prayer is that you would hear these words and you would have this confession that you are praising the Lord continually because you know the ultimate reality behind Psalm 34, which is Jesus. Because, because listen to me, friends, if you, if you don't know Jesus, then this Verse one, the idea of praising him continually will never come out of your mouth. Verse 21 will be the reality for you if you don't know Jesus. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And I'm gonna leave you with this. I think we take the warnings of God so lightly sometimes, but this psalm reminds us how serious they are. And the sober warning from Psalm 34, you must see, you must understand, it is more dangerous than the king of Gath. It is more dangerous than the Taliban in Afghanistan. It is more dangerous than any hurricane or tornado that might kill you. It is more dangerous than a virus. Because there is nothing more dangerous 
and the danger of unconfessed and unrepented sin when you come and stand in a holy God's presence. And so my final plea to you is if you have not turned from your sin that you will do so today, that you won't keep floating along, you won't keep thinking, oh, I'm better than most people, that ought to be good enough. I want you to hear today, friend, if that is you, you are in eternal danger. The call of this psalm is to taste and see that Jesus is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in Jesus, Jesus, who alone can cleanse from our sin. The eternal rescue from sin, that is the ultimate close call. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?